I had a memory this week. And you guys ever have memories of when you were a child and you think, where did that come from? I, yeah, I know. It was too long. I had this memory. Anyway, I've never been good at math. I'm just going to admit to you right up front. I'm okay with simple math like adding and subtracting and uh, multiplication. But when it comes to like formulas and theorems and equations, I check out. And that was where my memory came in this week. I had this memory. I don't even remember what it was. But I mean, why it, why it happened. But I had this memory of having taking a math test and the, it was different than most math tests. This, this, our teacher said, here's the problem, and here's the answer. And I want you to use this equation to find the answer, or to prove the answer. And as soon as he told us that we were supposed to use this equation to find the answer, I started panicking. Because that stuff, I, I, even to this day, I can't, anything that has to do with formulas and equations, I just, I just can't do it. So I started panicking, and as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, what should I do? And I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try to find the answer without the equation to see if I can do it, because otherwise it was going to stay empty. So I started working on it, and because my mind is like a steel trap, Earl, <laughs> I worked it out, I showed my, and, I, and I got the answer, and I was so proud of myself, and I turned my paper in, and a couple of days later, I got my paper back, and there was a big D on it with a little note from the uh, teacher that said, you and I need to talk. <laughs> so I, I took my paper up there, and, and he set me down, and he says, he says, listen, you got the right answer. You showed your work. That's why you didn't get an F. But you didn't use the formula. So it doesn't matter. I, I, literally, I have been remembering that experience for over 45 years. That's weird, isn't it? Except, when, I, when it comes back into my mind, you know what's the first thing that I, I think about? I think that it's a, that is a perfect example of what we human beings do all the time. We human beings have a tendency to take something that's rather simple and complicate it so that many of us get lost along the way. We even do it in the church. Did you know that? Um, take the, the idea of evangelism, for example. A lot of people, when they hear the word evangelism, one of two things happens. They either kind of, their eyes glaze over because they really have no idea what it means, or they get a look of terror in their eyes because of what they think it means. Evangelism is one of the most simple and basic jobs that a Christian, that, a, that the church, has to do. And most of us fail at it miserably. It is the most basic and fundamental job that the church and Christians have to do. And most of it, statistics say that most churches, this is, not a, this is an absolute fact, most churches have not led someone to Christ for years. Most Christians have never done it. So if it's so simple and so basic and so fundamental to the faith, what's the problem? Well, honestly, I think the problem is people like me. I think the problem is that the church 
has done a horrible job, people like me, I have done a horrible job of explaining in simple and authentic ways what this very basic and fundamental job looks like and how it's to be lived out. So that's what I'm going to try to do for you this morning. I'm going to try to to take this whole concept of evangelism and break it down into its components for you in such a simple way that um, even a child could comprehend it and do it if they chose to. So, you've already heard today um, a, a scripture from the book of Matthew. It's very familiar to a lot of people. It's called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission goes something like this, just to refresh your, mi- uh, your minds. and your um, Jesus is saying to um, the church, to Christians, he's saying, go out into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, that's kind of a mouthful, I get it, but what is it that Jesus, if you boil it all down, what is it that Jesus is saying? If you look at that passage, you can really just take out just a few words and you can boil it down, just those few words. Jesus is saying, make disciples. But a lot of people not even sure what a disciple is, so let me Break that one down for you. A disciple, very simply, is a follower. So when you hear the word disciple, just think follower. You can substitute the word follower. Is it more nuanced than that? Sure it is. But basically, to be a disciple is to be a follower. And in our instance, it's to be a follower of Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, right? That's so simple, isn't it? So why are we so bad at it? I'll tell you why we're so, there's probably a lot of reasons why we're bad at it, but one of the primary reasons why I think we're bad at it is you have to go right back to the very beginning of the passage when Jesus says this. He says what? Go out into all the world, right? And we're thinking, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people in the world. There's like billions of people in the world. And only a small percentage of those people are already Christians. That means the rest of those billions of people are our responsibility? Yeah. Where do you start? That's like somebody, I've heard, you know, how do you eat an elephant? That's like somebody saying, setting you down, saying, here, eat an elephant, right? You have no idea where. So here's my question. How do you eat an elephant? You all know that, right? What's the answer? One bite at a time. You need a strategy. So why didn't Jesus give us a strategy? That's my question. Why did he just say, go out into all the world? He should have known that we would be uh, overwhelmed. Well, here's the deal. In all actuality, Jesus did give you a strategy. Here's a mistake that people make. Because the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, because the Great Commission is found at the end of the gospel, most people think that those were the last words of Jesus because it's at the end of the gospel, right? Did you know that from the time when Jesus was, died and resurrected from the dead, and the time he ascended into heaven, did you know the Bible says that there were actually 40 days between his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven? Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. And during those 40 days, Jesus continued to walk and to talk with and to teach the church, his friends, his disciples, followers of his. He continued to teach them. So if 
uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 weren't the last words of Jesus. What were the last words of Jesus? I'll tell you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay, so give you a little context. 40 days, right? And he's getting ready to head back to heaven. And he's been teaching them all this time about a whole bunch of things. But then he says, listen, I'm going. And this is what I want you to do. I want you all to go back to Jerusalem and wait. Okay, well, that's fine. He says, yeah, I want you to go to, to Jerusalem and I want you to wait because I've got something for you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I'm, I want to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give you power to be a witness. Now, let me stop right there for just a second. What does it mean to be a witness? It means to tell somebody about Jesus. So he says, I'm going to give you a gift, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has the power to, it's going to give you power to share your faith in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. So what just happened there? Jesus just told them and you and me how to eat an elephant. He says you eat it. The, the way you go about making disciples, the way you go about helping people to become followers of Jesus is by starting first in your backyard. Where did he send them? Jerusalem. He says there are going to be people in your life in Jerusalem who need Jesus. So he says, I want you to start in your backyard with your family and with your friends first and then go out from there to Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And if we were to put it in our context, he would have been saying, uh, we want you to first reach out to your family and friends in the corridor and then to the state of Iowa and then the United States and then to the rest of the world, right? That's so simple. Is it simple enough? Well, let me make it more simple. Tom, if you've been listening to him, I, I very seldom listen to him, by the way. <laughs> For the la I mean, I don't know how many weeks now, Tom, as part of the, his welcome, has been encouraging all of you to take your prayer cards and to use those prayer cards for whatever you want to be prayed for. But specifically, he's been asking for the last few weeks that you would start putting on the prayer cards the names of your friends and your family that you know need a relationship with Jesus. Now, why has he been doing that? Because it's part of the strategy. It's part of the how to eat the elephant. You see, one of the biggest problems that you have when it comes to being an evangelist is that you think you're supposed to be an evangelist. You're wrong. The work of evangelism is actually the job of the Holy Spirit. 
It's just that the Holy Spirit wants to use you. Because you've got a connection with those friends and family, right? So, the very first thing to do when you're eating this elephant called evangelism is you need to pray for your family and friends. Is that what you do? You, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm just going to ask the question. As part of your, your daily prayer life, are you praying every day for the, the people in your life that you know need a relationship with Christ? I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to cast dispersions, but I'm just going to suggest that most of you aren't doing that. And it's time. So this is where I go from preaching to meddling, okay? Because um, it's not good enough for you to have Jerry and Kathy and the people who gather on Tuesday nights to be the only ones praying for their friends and family that need Jesus. It's just not good enough. You need to be doing it too. We're going to be praying for you. We're, I, I promise you, we will be praying for those people that you're writing on the prayer cards. But you need to be doing it every day, too. And you need to keep doing it until they get it. Because you know what happens as you're praying for them? It's like, um, some, I don't remember who said it, but it was a long time ago. It was somebody who wrote, it's like God is wooing those people. Every time you pray, it's like God is, is wooing those people into a, a love affair with him. Now, some of them, many of them, are, are pushing back on that. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, every, if you can imagine that every one of those prayers that you're lifting up for those people that you care about, that they might have a relationship, I'm here to tell you, if you can consider every one of those prayers as a, as a word of love, like a, a love song, there comes a point where you just kind of go, why am I fighting against this? They get to make whatever decision they want, but there'll come a point when they are so constantly loved and so constantly pursued that they'll go, well, maybe I just need to receive. Now, there's lots of ways that that happens, but it all starts with prayer.